This is Bragg, the son of Balan, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. are lit. Lotro calls for aid. And Brog shall answer. It's Amandine. Time once again. Random commentary and misguided wisdom is kindled. Welcome back, everybody, to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast that also dabbles in books, movies, and the lore of Chris Tokian's pops. This is episode number sweet 70, and I'm your host, Brag of Lonely Mountain, the Sultan of Shieldswipe, the Earl of Agro, Warrior of the Doomfold, amongst many more recent titles, and Dwarf of Ill Repute, broadcasting live from temporary Light the Beacons Middle Earthwide headquarters in Udun. Udun? You done? Not done. Got a lot of questing to do in here. Actually, Bragg is done, but there'll be another tune coming through here shortly. I'm standing on on a platform outside of the, uh, just right outside of the Udun foothold camp, and uh, it's a rickety wooden structure. As I look down below me, the camp is abuzz with activity, both from uh, new people just penetrating the zone, I'm sure, as well as others that are at Endgame. And uh, one of the one of the quest hubs for Endgame is here in the Udon Foothold. I can see uh, back up the path where the Black Gate stands behind us, destroyed. And as I look down across the right, I see uh, an industrial wasteland. There are uh, multiple chimneys spewing green smoke into the air. Uh, an occasional waft of flame arises from the chimneys around. Uh, you know, the destruction of Sauron certainly has not slowed the pace of industry here, apparently. Maybe they don't. It's like sort of like a chicken whose head's cut off and the body's still running around a little bit, I think. But uh, giant smokestacks dot the countryside. I can see the machines of industry pounding forward. Um, there are glimpses of giant fortresses up in the hills, which are one of my favorite features of Mordor, with glowing red or orange windows and tower structures with giant spikes cascading out of them on every side. A lot of spikes in the architecture here in Mordor. Makes it look a little bit dangerous, if you know what I mean. Uh, the rock is a dark gray, black, sooted with brown. And uh, in the center of the valley, the, the floor of the valley is dotted with... Uh, kind of greenish brackish water uh, with a path running through from here to here with a little bit of a um, little bit of uh, bridges crossing and uh, in the distance I see mountains rising on all sides the Udon foothold it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of New Jersey no I'm just kidding you guys are from Jersey there's some beautiful parts of Jersey they really are look I grew up sort of near that area and there are some really nice parts of Jersey and there's also a few that look like the Udon Footholds, if you know what I mean. Uh, with that, perhaps let's move on to our next beacon. Elinok, a review of the agenda for today. Well, we're going to start talking a little bit about Mordor. It's been uh, since the last podcast. I think it was the 
the clamor before the storm was right before the release. So um, been busy, been busy playing a lot of Lotro uh, to give me some stuff to talk about. But I think I've penetrated the new content enough to be able to comment on it and or make fun of it in some cases. So, as usual, first we deal with a lot of CRAP corrections, retractions, and apologies from last week. Last time out, we offended Star Citizen Lifers, Bearded Minstrels, 1980s Fantasy Writers, Allegiance Enthusiasts, Lotro Player Articles Authors, Ultimate Fans, and probably some High Elves. And to all those who were offended, we offer a solemn and very heartfelt sorry, except for you-know-who. Uh, viewer comments, let's check the leaderboard. La the last review of the podcast was left by MC Blarney on June 6th of 2017, so he or she currently has our high score. As always, if you want to join this illustrious vacuum of your viewers, then please, by all means, continue to do absolutely nothing. Although, if being outed on the podcast by broadcasting your name is holding you back from doing an iTunes review, I'll tell you what, just let me know that when you leave the review, and I won't announce your name every week. Um, constraint removed. Viewer feedback, agree to disagree. Uh, Cruz Frunjus gave a helpful tip to those of you with vault loads of Matham armor. Apparently, if you open them up at level 106, you will be a lot sturdier as you enter Mordor. So that is the dividing line. 105 old stuff, 106 shiny new stuff. And uh, although you'll start earning uh, landscape drops in Mordor immediately that help with Light of Erendil statuses, um, the level 106 gear will be quite a bit better than uh, what you're coming out of uh, the wastes with in most cases and can give you um, a little bit of easier time in the Udun foothold as you start, first start to quarter around uh, ground Mordor. So that's a good tip. Uh, thanks for writing in Fruit Juice and recommending that. And uh, at least until you get significant landscape drops with light of iron deal stats. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Grime, edit that out, will you? No, I won't do it. Uh, Twittersphere, lots of mortar love out there. Nothing particularly striking. In Community Spotlight, the return of Contains Moderate Peril, the podcast. Or as how I like to subtitle it, how to rebrand your podcast and then change it back before you lose all of your listeners. So Roger Edwards and Brian and the gang rejoined the podcasting community. Um, I uh, have missed their cast since it was gone. They uh, turned it over to Burton and Scrooge or rebranded to Burton and Scrooge temporarily for some time to give them a bit more freedom with their with their format. Uh, but uh, according to Roger's comments, apparently they lost a lot of their audience in doing so who didn't find their new stream coming from their various channels and sources. So um, they've decided to reinvigorate the port, the podcast after, uh, you know, some some uh, some interesting quirks in life that uh didn't leave them time to podcast. Now they're back at it, and they are returning to their old Contains Modern Apparel brand uh, under the TGen Network. So you should be able to find them out there in all the usual places. And uh, for one, I'm glad to have them back. Uh, and Dang posted a What is Coming Post Mordor video. It was um, just about the first week of the release. You know, there's some people, of course, that had finished every bit of content you possibly could, polished their character to the max, and uh, achieved all deeds and accelerators within approximately uh, 3 minutes and 72 seconds of the release of the Mordor video. They were also already looking uh, Mordor expansion, and they were already looking for what was coming around the corner next. What is post Mordor? Um, 
So, and I'm only slightly exaggerating, by the way. So, Ann Dang uh, had a, a video where he said that lots of questions were coming to him along these along these um, lines. You know, we couldn't enjoy the expansion for even a day before we started debating this, apparently. But uh, so that's a little, something I have a little bit of a biff about. But uh, Ann Dang basically said there's lots of stuff coming if people will pay. <laughs> Um, you know, there's tons of leads out there in the geography and in the lore, um, you know, not as fleshed out a story as uh, the areas that we've seen before Lord of the Rings. But we know that SSG, i.e. Turbine, has taken uh, areas of the map that were not well fleshed out or perhaps only fleshed out with a paragraph here or there or a couple sentences here or there and uh, drawn some very interesting storylines um, throughout those geographies and fleshed them out to a great extent. Well, there's plenty of geographies left in Middle-earth that we have not penetrated, uh, enough to last us another 10 years. Um, and that's just taking things that were hinted at by Tolkien and not just inventing complete new uh, continents or, or realms, uh, which they could do if they wanted to. Uh, of course, the farther we get from the lore, the more freedom they have to create. Uh, the problem is, how many more will continue to pay? As long as people are continuing to pay, uh, the studio will stay alive. And I think this is... You know, if you look, there's properties out there like Ultima Online um, that have been out there for 10 plus years, uh, you know, going on 20 years, I think, for some of those older games that are still running. Um, because once they get to a certain steady state, they don't take a lot of, uh, you know, funding to, ne to necessarily maintain. But I think the difference is when we're talking about Tokian's world is that there's an IP that is one of the most valued in all of fantasy. And so the question will come at some point, not as Lotro profitable, but is it as profitable as something else we could develop in Tokian's world, in which case, uh, you know, if we developed a new game that took advantage of Tokian's world, would it be time then to scrap Lotro? And I think that is probably the tipping point that will come at some point for Lotro down the road, but I don't see it coming any time soon. So uh, Endang repeated himself uh, uh, multiple times uh, around, I think, the point he was trying to make there. Um, and I think the one point that is different is that this is a unique IP that we're dealing with. Um, but I think we've still got plenty of Lotro for several years to come, at least based on what I've seen. Unless the Mordor expansion was a big failure for them, but I don't believe it was. I believe they did pretty well on it. There was pent-up demand, it was a big name, and they... Um, I'm, I'm hoping they did handsomely on it. Uh, there was also a massively article out there on uh, you done by SIP from uh, from from Massively. Uh, SIP has been basically the Lotro correspondent for Massively for many years, and uh, he's jumped back into the game and was uh, starting to sample the content of Mordor. Had some nice articles out there regarding that. Uh, what's going on in the forums? A lot of hubbub about the bugs that came out with Moria. Um, people complaining that it wasn't polished enough. They would have rather have waited until it was more polished. So I can see both sides of this argument. Um, first question for me is, did bugs ruin my enjoyment of the release, release once I started playing it? I would say far from it, but they were certainly noticed on a few occasions, uh, especially, specifically early on. Uh, in Udun, I had a quest named The Three Proofs, which failed while I was playing it and got canceled out of my quest log. Uh, I finished all the rest of the content in the expansion and was ready to start on endgame quests around Allegiance and, um, and dailies, and uh, they didn't pop for me. And the reason was because I discovered later that this Three Proofs quest, which uh, failed to me due to a bug, 
um, never got finished. So I had to go back and, and run the last couple quests in that quest chain, which was one of the prerequisites required for opening up the, the Allegiance dailies. Um, what was interesting is that, uh, you know, I called for help in-game for that uh, quest to help complete it at the time. And um, I opened a ticket, stayed on the game for an hour or two, um, came back a day later. The ticket had been closed saying you weren't online when we found it. Entered another ticket, waited around another hour or two, came back two days later to find out the ticket had been closed saying you weren't online when we, uh, when we addressed it. Uh, at least the second time around after I complained a little, I think they mentioned that uh, this is something that might be coming in an upcoming uh, X-Pack. But, you know, I think the point is the amount of online support that the game has at this point is pretty low. And based on the number of bugs that were out there in Moria, there certainly was not enough uh, in-game support going around. I think every other time I've ever entered a ticket, uh, with one or two exceptions, I've had a GM that's responded in the next half hour and was able to help me while I was in line in game. And it's pretty unsatisfying to uh, to have your ticket, see that the ticket was responded to, you know, almost a day and a half later and closed, like they expected you to wait in game for a day and a half for the uh, for the GM to respond. And I think that's part of the new reality that we have with the staffing model as it is. Um, so we'll have to take a grain of salt with that. And, uh, obviously there's a lot of more issues when an expansion comes out. So hopefully as we reach steady state, that won't be quite that bad. Uh, that would be nice to see. Um, I noticed a few issues in the game where there were phasing problems, you know, where I'm standing next to a guy saying, go rescue the dwarf king and bear a dur. And I see the dwarf king is standing, you know, 10 feet to my right and someone else is talking to him. Um... I know there was an issue when I first started getting Allegiance quests. I reported to the guy who said, go to the Hall of the Mountain King and your reward there will be a port that you will be able to use going forward. And I was like, well, how do I get to Erebor if I don't have a port to get there? Uh, you know, I'm not going to run the Bells of Dale instance and find the Allegiance guy standing at the end under the church. Uh, so I didn't know how to get there to finish the quest so I could get the port. And basically I had to ask in game and someone said, oh, there's a goat behind you like 100 feet back to the left that uh, should have been pointed out to you. Oh, there he is, the porta goat. Good. That's good to know. Um, I had one quest where I was escaping from Baradur and uh, I finished another quest at the same time which insta-ported me out, but it didn't complete the escape from Baradur quest because apparently there's a piece of geography I had to run across in the entrance hallway in order to complete it. So I had to run back in all the way and until uh, I found the trigger point that said, oh yeah, you escaped and then I could run back out. Um, you know, if you play enough of the expansion when expansions first come out, you hear the same questions in chat repeatedly when things are unintuitive. And uh, I will note that the majority of these issues that I had, um, there were a good number of them that I ran into that were addressed in the first dot release when I read the release notes. So it's good to know that at least, uh, you know, some of the big ticket items are being addressed. Uh, I am hearing that there are still loot problems across the game, both with skirmishes as well as uh, with some of the Scourges quests that you can do on a weekly basis uh, running out of the game once you've finished the major quest content. So um, hopefully they're updating loot tables that will be populated shortly. So all those things are a detraction. Uh, do I think they should have delayed the release? I would not have minded if they delayed it another week or two, but um, 
you know, I think they wanted to stay on schedule with festivals they have coming out and other things. And at some point, someone thought it was close enough that uh, people could enjoy the release and it wouldn't detract. I guess it depends a little bit on your game style, your personality, and what your blood pressure is, whether uh, it bothered you or not. For me, it was okay. So, in this week's action-packed episode, we're going to, as always, talk a little bit about what we've been doing in-game this past few weeks. We will review our first impressions of Mordor. We will hear from our latest podcast sponsor, and we'll comment briefly on some content from other Lotro fan sites and some of the controversies attached there, too. Lastly, as always, if we have any time remaining, we will provide a specific overview of the direction of the game post-Mordor. But if we want to have time for that, we better get moving. We are at the beacon of Nardal this week in gaming and or other Tolkien news. Should we talk about other games this week? Barely. I barely have any other game reviews this week. It, uh, to be frank with you, the last two or three weeks, it's been all Lotro, all the time with the Mortar expansion. Let me see as I, as I check out the list. Oh, I will mention one other thing. So uh, once or twice during... Lotro World updates in the past couple weeks. I've tried to open up another <coughs> MMO just to keep my time busy while the download was coming down. And uh, I went to log into Secret World Legends, and Secret World Legends had a major update that was uh, looking to install my uh, my hard drive, and it would not let me play the game until I completed that update through Steam. Um, and I found that I was still wrestling somewhat with drive management. Um, now that I have an SSD card in my laptop, uh, solid state drive along with a regular drive, uh, there's still some, you know, I haven't gotten down 100% the, uh, the best way to arrange some of the files and or operating systems on the computer to take advantage of the solid state drive activity. I, I knew I wanted the core of Lotro on the solid state drive, but it is a fairly limited amount of space versus the rest of the game. I had Secret World Legends stalled, uh, installed on my solid state drive, and it was uh, uh, the download was too big to finish. So I could not finish the download, and it wouldn't let me play it until it was finished. So I looked through Steam recommendations and so forth, and eventually what I did was uh, completely uh, erase the game from the hard drive, uh, change the default drive for installation specific for that game, and then reinstall. So still wrestling sometimes with best practices around drive management in a multi-drive laptop system. Uh, what else have I been playing? I did play a little bit of Shadows of Mordor. I've got three generals down and one to go in kind of the opening epic quest line area around Udun itself. So uh, those two games paralleling each other to some degree. Uh, movies. I did want to mention uh, over the last couple weeks I went out to see Atomic Blonde. And I agree with most of the reviews, which said that the plot was confusing and unnecessary and a little bit pointless in some ways. I, I kind of gave up at some point watching it and just enjoyed the action. And what I enjoyed more than anything else was uh, what I consider a tour de force performance by Charlize Theron, who is definitely on her game coming out of the Furiosa role that she played in Mad Max Fury Road. Um... She was fantastic in this, and uh, both handling the action as well as the nuances of kind of the Cold War spy, cool chick, uh, you know, just a, a lot of pathos, I thought, in her performance, and uh, she was masterful. So 
Uh, she's definitely in my five right now. I got a thing going for Charlize and her. You know, I, I think it's a flawed movie, so she'll never see an Oscar nomination, which would be sad. But uh, but it's a very cool role, and it's uh, I think it's a movie that's worth seeing just for her performance. Um, books, nope, nothing about it. Lotro, uh, I got a lot to talk about Mordor, but that's coming in the next section. But let me talk about something else briefly, and that is. Something that's been outstanding that I've kind of been ticking away at the back of my mind for quite some time now, uh, which is the fact that I have never taken advantage of the premium housing options over in the Bay of Belfalas. And about a week and a half ago, I noticed one of the store sales was for an item that I had not seen on sale before. Premium housing writs. So I was taking a look at this and doing some of the math. You can buy premium housing either through Mithril Coins or through the purchase of premium housing writs, which can be purchased through Lotro Points. Uh, premium housing writs go for normally about 250 Lotro Points apiece. And to buy a deluxe solo or single character house, you need about 18 for the most expensive house on the market. So somebody do the math. 18 times 250 Lotro points, you know, you're talking like, I don't know, $445 worth of Lotro points if you're buying them, um, you know, straight from the store, no bonuses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So premium housing rates were on sale for 200 Lotro points apiece. And I had Lotro points saved up, which I had already put aside to buy the High Elf probably around the Christmas time frame, which is four months away. So I'm sitting there going, Lotro points burning a hole in my pocket. Premium housing writs on sale. About 20% off the normal price. I could probably buy half of them with the Lotro points I have saved up now. And then I only have to buy maybe a $20 bundle in order to complete the premium housing on the sale price. So SSG got some more of my money. <laughs> Yes, I bought uh, 18 premium housing writs over the sale, and I went out and purchased myself um, the last housing spot that was available in my kin's neighborhood. Uh, and uh, the address uh, that was available was 1 Cypress Road. I can tell you I didn't do a lot of comparison. I did not do a lot of comparison shopping to look around at all different sites. I went to the one uh, in particular that was available and looked around and found it perfectly suitable uh, and in line with all the other ones I'd seen. So there might be some that are better because they're closer to a vendor or because they're closer to uh, this or that or maybe they have a better view of the lake. I was happy with this one. So I picked it and I bought it and I moved in. So now I have a summer home in the Bays of Belfast to balance out uh, my my true home in Thorns Hall. And uh more than anything else, it's going to allow me to empty out some of the vaults for a lot of housing objects, which I have stored away, which I don't have room for in my regular house. Uh, so I've started to dump some of that stuff in there. Um, I have not decorated the whole place yet. It's going to be a, a process. There's going to take some time. Uh, first step is to dump everything I have in there, wherever it looks good to start out. And uh, then I might do some rearranging down the road. Or I might just leave everything in a big, you know, like a hoarder house with a big pile of crap. We'll see. Um, we'll see how much time I really want to spend on decoration there. Uh, but two things I will note. Uh, one is that uh, I put a giant beacon of Gondor right there in the front yard. <laughs> I can't even remember where I got that. I don't know if it was a festival or if I just bought it off a Gondor vendor with a bunch of uh, Gondor silver pieces. Probably the latter uh, that I got a Gondor housing object. But I got a nice beacon sitting right in my front lawn. If anyone wants to come up and see me, uh, just follow the beacon. 
And uh, the other nice item that was funded, yeah, I got the new SSG, um, new SSG anniversary rotating stone objects out there. A nice Lithlorian swan fountain inside my courtyard inside. And uh, and uh, one other offer from a kinmate who had bought the ultimate edition of the Mordor expansion and so had received a Mordor housing gate as part of that. What I learned is that apparently you get one for every character you log in. So he had something like 36 of them. And uh, I was like, well, aren't they bound? He said, yes, but if you give me decorator privileges, I can come and put it in your house, and then you can just remove the privileges later, but the object will stay. So I don't have the ability to move the object around, but as long as I want to keep it right where it is, which is fine by me, I now have a Mordor housing gate in my house, and that is uh, you know, something I didn't think I'd ever have, which is kind of neat. So yay for the kinnies, and thanks to mm -hmm. shout out to Bozy for helping me out with that today. So that's what's going on with Bragg, aside from Mortar. Premium housing. I am now living the lifestyles of the rich and famous, as I talked about in a previous podcast. Uh, most of my other characters are fallow. I have to decide who will be next into Mordor. Will it be my hobbit minstrel or my human captain? And uh, I'm warring between those two right now. Um, I'm leaning a little bit towards my mini just because uh it'd be nice to start the hobbit allegiance quest line i've heard it's humorous and fun uh but you know i'm gonna want to do them all and what i think i'm coming to the conclusion of is seeing as how you know getting through all the mortar content gives you a boost in one allegiance system but going back and doing the others on one tune is a lot of work i don't know since the allegiance um uh, rep is not listed in the regular allegiance bars i don't have the same ocd to finish all of them on brag that i would if it was a if it was a uh, a rep faction so i could see doing each of the different allegiance uh areas or racial areas but each with a different alt and maybe not having all four of them on brag i think that would be easier and uh still a good way to see all the content and uh ocd will will still not be uh, enraged so so I think that's what I'm leaning towards right now. What else is going on? My Berg did get battle ready the day of the Mordor expansion. So he only needed to finish uh, off the rep faction for a host of the West. And one last run of Waste RTs on the day of the Mordor expansion finished that up for him. And he got his cloak and everything else, which will probably be immediately replaced now. Uh, Bjorning Champ RK, Warden All Fallow. In other Tolkien news, I did want to say I finally going got around to watching the Shadow of War trailer, which is the sequel to Shadow of Mordor that came out. <coughs> and I did want to note, the, the only thing that struck me about it is, yeah, A, it looks pretty cool, although I'll finish the first game and make up my mind whether I have an appetite for another. The second being that they um, they made Shelob, you know, similar to what... Uh, what uh, SSG seems to be doing is they made Shelob a player in the political realm of Mordor. And uh, you could see that she at sometimes is going to be allied with Sauron and sometimes might serve her own interests, which has been, you know, something that was hinted at by Tolkien over the years. And uh, in the video itself, you get to see her multiple times in what is considered hot chick form. So not a giant spider, but like a sultry young woman who could come and, and seduce you uh, as you climb into her lair, which is an interesting interpretation. Um, never seen that openly stated in Tolkien. I guess, 
you know, you could say that in the lore, if she was, you know, the spawn of Ungoliant to, you know, was at the level of the Maya, uh, she's kind of a sub Maya type of uh, personality within the game, which might be on the power level of a river maiden or a hunter that we've seen in Endedwaith or something along those lines, um, or perhaps more powerful, who knows. Uh, I guess it's possible for them to be able to achieve different forms. Um, bit of a stretch, though. Bit of a stretch. And knowing that you know a giant, disgusting spider is behind the hot chick, I yeah, I don't, I don't care how hot she is. I think I'm done. All right, uh, that's enough of that kind of garbage. Let's move on to our fourth beacon of Aralas. Aralas is here. It is time for Aralas. Sorry about that. I ran out of beer and uh, this is cutting into my Mordor gaming time, so I'm getting a little bit antsy. Let's talk about some of our first impressions of Mordor. And I will try to be not particularly spoilery, but I will mention some details here and there. Uh, first of all, I have generated, going through all five areas and finishing all the major quest storylines, a big supply of tokens of Thrandrim and Ashes of Gorgoroth. And I have not used any of them yet. I have not really needed to thus far. I'm getting by uh, just fine on questing gear for the most part. Uh, what happens is each region seems to give you um, kind of a duplicate piece of something that you had before, but a couple levels better. So you're feeling like you're kind of constantly replacing your gear with something a little better, a little better as you go. So I think they did a good job with that, like with spacing out the rewards so that you're generally getting landscape quests which are um which are making you tougher for the next regions and i just never felt so over you know overmatched that i felt like i had to go and uh trade in for teals uh at some of the base camps with some of the your reputation vendors that are available or the allegiance vendors that are available um or the ashes of gorgoroth vendors that are elf smith vendors that are available to trade in for ashes of gorgoroth um, so I probably will be looking at that now that I've finished most of the major quest content and I can tell, you know, where I got landscape drops for teals and where I didn't. Um, and I'm not going to say that I never died on the landscape. I'd say I died quite a bit and I enjoyed dying. I enjoyed it being dangerous in a lot of cases, but in most cases when I did die, it was from impatience. <laughs> so if I'm in an area where, you know, I have to fight every group that comes up to march all the way to a quest objective occasionally i'd say i know where the quest is all i have to do is run to the end and if i can fight everything that trails me in there and survive then i'll save myself you know 45 minutes of grinding so occasionally i just will run through an area and try to hide in a corner and see how many guys i bring and sometimes the area would be clear and i'd only have two or three and i'd be able to fight them off and sometimes I'd run into a bunch of pathers or a bunch of guys right at the end or I'd run out of room and I would be overwhelmed and killed. So most of the time when I'm dying, it's from impatience, um, you know, not because I'm overmatched on the landscape. If you if you do slow and patient, then then you can be generally fine. But uh, but sometimes you can save yourselves a lot of time <laughs> running through stuff and trying to get to an objective rather than fighting your way all the way back and forth three or four times in some cases. Um, so I took to I took to not bothering to un you know reclaim essences that were in gear that I was getting replaced. Most of the essence drops in uh, in Mordor I like only have one or two slots in them. And I was getting enough uh, Mordor shadow essence 
stuff dropped just through regular content that I, it always seemed I could drop something in there, you know, without overanalyzing it. And uh, since it's only one or two essences and I seem to be replacing them at a decent rate, I know I can use uh, my silver tokens of Thrandim to get shadow essence boxes if I need to down the line. Uh, I really haven't bothered with uh, reclaiming essences as I was, you know, using Ashes of Gorgoroth. Of course, it would be nice if you use the actual Gorgoroth, it would return all the essences to you for that piece as well as uh, rendering it into ashes, but that's another story. Um, you know, unless it's an essence that I really, really know I don't want later, I just don't have that many essence reclamation scrolls, right? I've got a couple or a handful. You can always get more, but they, they're still pretty expensive in the game versus a lot of other things that you need to acquire. Um, I will say that it's a little depressing slash wrong that a gold item from Endgame pre-Mordor from a lot of grinding in the wastes is easily replaceable by the first green drop you get on the landscape post-Mordor. I mean, really? <laughs> I mean, it took a lot of work in the wastes to get some of these items. Um and I know they're, you know, not top-level raid items. They're stuff that you got from grinding landscape and dailies and quests and whatever, whatever else you needed uh, in rep and all those other things. But still, a lot of those gold items took a lot of grinding and uh, a lot of grinding to get the essences up and, and loaded in there from Athelion. And, uh, you know, what we got to enjoy running them with was, you know, Throne of the Dead, tre Dread Terror in the day, I guess. Uh, but... Um, to have it replaced with a green landscape drop in the first area of the new expansion is, you know, is very depressing for me. <laughs> I just, I think that's a miscalculation. I, I would have liked to have think that the gold items could have carried you through at least midway through the landscape content or maybe until you got teal drops, um, you know, later on. But there were, the, the stats jump they did was just so significant that they became immediately irrelevant and... That was kind of annoying, I have to, I have to mention. Um, it's also hard initially to gauge the usefulness of the Light of Erendil stats versus other stats when you're making comparisons, uh, one piece of gear versus another. But my first impression is that it's pretty dang important. And if you're doing a Light of Erendil upgrade, it's probably worth whatever the other stats are compared to it um, in order to keep yourself in the light. Uh, I really like the ability to cash in pieces that you don't need, that you get from landscape drops or from questing for Ashes of Gorgoroth that you can use for other equipment instead of vendor trashing them. This was a great idea, one of my favorite new features. So, uh, you know, normally I'd be getting annoyed if I did a quest and I, all my drops were, you know, I'm on my guard and all my drops are bound to character and they're will or agility based. What a waste of time, right? But here, I know at least I can get Ashes of Gorgoroth and eventually trade them in for something that I do want. So I think that's a great system. Um, you know, otherwise, getting items all the time for your class would otherwise be frustrating. So it makes me wonder, why don't they build a system like this for legendary items to make those drops relevant again? What if I could take my Ashes of Gorgoroth and use them on a Burglar Knife or a Champion Relic? And instead of ashes of Gorgoroth, it rendered them into uh, some kinds of legendary ashes that I could eventually use to trade in for legendary item XP 
or for legendary item. Maybe if I had, you know, 150 ashes, legendary ashes, I could trade them in for an essence a relic reclamation scroll or an essence reclamation scroll, whatever the case may be. But it would keep us from having to vendor trash or throw out all those legendary items that are not uh, tied to our class. So there, uh, SSG, take your good idea and spread it to these other areas and make those drops relevant again. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the regions in Mordor, which I think is the strength of their expansion. So maybe it just means it's time for me to read the books again. But when I think of Mordor from the books, I think of Minas Morgoth, Minas Morgul and Kirithungal, of course, the Black Gates, Baradur, and Mount Doom. And that's about it. <laughs> okay, maybe the Sea of Nern is off somewhere to the southeast. I could see that on the map. But those five areas are basically where the bulk of the story is from the books. Minas Morgul, Kirithungal, Black Gates, Baradur, and Mountain Doom. Mount, Mountain Doom. Did I just call it Mountain Doom? Mountain Doom. Oh, I think I see a new sponsor coming on. Hang on. I'll think about that one. <laughs> Let me write that down. All right. So I think there are some more detailed maps somewhere, of course, that Tolkien has made of Mordor. But the detail in the zones is just not what I envisioned of my mind. Of course, it makes total sense. You know, Sauron, the Nazgul, and the Orcs aren't just sitting around in a big desert playing with sandcastles. I mean, that's an even dim. It just did not register with me, really, that, and that uh, you know, the additional structure and culture that would be incorporated into the release. And seeing it all come to life is very thrilling for me. Um, I, I find myself constantly wondering what is from the lore and what is made up. And the fact that they blended most of it so well in terms of the regions and the landscapes that you can't tell is a huge victory for SSG. I mean, there's a one word mentioned somewhere of a mortress, mortal fortress called Durthang probably in the appendices or in the appendices or in the Silmarillion or something. And from that you get this structure that you get to look in, that you get to explore, that you get to find out the history about. And uh, they've just done a wonderful job at some of those things. Uh, the regions themselves are remarkably diverse, in my opinion. Uh, you know, based on, you know, it's not just one big black shadow of Mordor. They each have their own flavor to them. And uh, the realism factor has been amped up quite a bit from what I consider the Angmar days. It's a little less cartoony. And that's coming from someone who loved Angmar. Um, and the new Mordor is more kind of creepy real. Uh, than the Angmar days. And so I think that's a wonderful evolution. So let's talk a little bit about the individual areas in the game. Uh, Udon. Uh, looking at a Udon, like I said, is like New Jersey. No, it's, it's actually, here's another one. It's like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate, Chocolate Factory meets an inconvenient truth. Okay, that's, that's what I'm going to call it. And uh, what a disgusting, filthy river. It's, it's chocolate. Um, the camps in the valley are realistic, but they do get a little repetitive. So when you're doing a quest that says find 15 soldier packs and you have to run into 15 camps that are three tents with an orc sitting around a campfire and a rack of weapons to find the packs and you've got to fight the five guys in there and go and find another one, that gets a little repetitive. But the whole region is broken up by the side fortresses, Durthang, Mornar, and Anglok, which, uh, which are nested up in the hills and have wonderful detail um the views from up on those hills down into the valley are really cool uh some of the quests are a trifle annoying like fight find 15 furnace works 
and none are glowing and you just have to ride up to every big doofy contraption you see until you find them <laughs> so some of some of those are a little annoying and repetitive but uh, overall good quest flow uh, interesting stories already starting to pop up in terms of the power struggle in Mordor that's following uh, Dol Amroth, uh, Dol Amorth, a little more re reminiscent of what I expected out of Mordor landscapes. Um, it seems a little strange to me that the Barad-Dur quest lines come early in the expansion storylines instead of being kind of like the ultimate end. But hey, I guess Barad-Dur's time has passed. It's time to move on to the other uh, areas of Mordor, which are now more relevant. Um, there's still some funny storylines in here, usual betrayals and blah, blah, blah. You're starting to see some of the power struggles ferment themselves again. Um, I did like the dwarves quest line in the region and, uh, digging into the depths of the shell of Baradur. Very cool. I will say that I got goosebumps as, as I was riding across the entrance bridge into Baradur and I walked in the front door and looked, uh, looked across the halls that were inside. And uh, one tip when you're in the Dol Amorth, uh, if you're on your war steed, steer for the Sulakil. Those are those giant rhino creatures that are dotting the landscape all over the place. And since they don't attack you unless you attack them, it's always safe to ride through <laughs> the yellow mobs. Um, because, uh, you know, generally everything in the landscape is spaced out. Aim for the Sulakil. Um, I very much enjoyed the Second Age references in one of the ultimate quest lines for this region about the, uh, the powerful weapon uh, that was left behind and what happens with it. I thought that was uh, the kind of stuff that SSG does best with their storytelling when they can take those kinds of threads and weave them into uh, their outlines. Uh, Lingris, um, super creepy place. And super packed with spiders. If you have some arachnophobia, you are not going to enjoy this zone. Um, by the way, I love it when the spiders get hung up on an angle, rock, or some geographic feature like a pile of racks. With other mobs, it looks dumb, like a cow standing sideways or something like that. But for the spiders, it looks like they could actually be doing just that. And when they glitch over kind of some of the uneven surfaces, it looks kind of freaky real. Um... There are green waterfalls everywhere, reminiscent, reminiscent of the ones that pour out of Helchgam's uh, domicile in uh, Shadow of Angmar. And the mobs are thick. Um, I always, uh, when, I'm trying, when I'm trying to ride through, I always angle over the three little spiderlings rather than some of the big mothers. Um, and when I'm fighting groups and I need to uh, burn down a bunch of spiders, that's my chip. Go for the three little uh, spiderlets that are hanging out together. Um, because guard AOE versus single tar target DPS, hello, much faster. And ply why not get deed credit for three spiders versus one big mother? Because the brood mother's 129 29k morale versus the three mini ones at 29k apiece. Um, so one of the first things I did in Lingris, uh, just to test out the landscape, was I went and attacked a brood mother. And this is when the release first came out, and apparently they've got kind of a function like a deer in Enidwaith where they'll make a call and everything within kind of 30 yards comes running over to help. So the blood, the brood mothers were making a call and every spider within range was coming over to help. And then they were calling their two friends and so on and so on. And I got, I just got bum rushed. <laughs> I think I was fighting like 30 spiders and I was like, Oh, this is not going to be fun. But they actually uh, took that out. I saw it in the release notes for the first release right after the expansion uh, so I'd only been in the region like a day or two before they'd fix that up, uh, which was helpful. Um, there's lots of T 
teasing in Lingris for that big Shelob reveal. They are teasing us on this one, and you don't quite get there. So it's certainly setting up nicely for a uh, Kirithungal Shelob raid uh, when that comes out later this year. Uh, so let's talk about Talath Uri, which is uh, probably one of my favorite zones visually in the game. It uh, kind of splays out across the southern edge of Orodruin into the lake of river lava called the Gershgam, uh, which I think is a wonderful turn of phrase to describe what has happened to the region. Uh, all the um, all the the structures and the people in the region are dealing with the more recent explosions and the violent changes in their geography and uh, some really ominous dark storylines pop up uh, especially around the uh, prison area of uh, what's it called it's not Nargoth it's the other one I'll have to pull it up I'm just gonna make guesses until I find it Nereth Nargothond Nignurning is it uh Nairband. Some very interesting storylines around the giant prison of Nairband, which uh which borders the Gashgurm. Um so first of all, one of the nice things they did about this zone is to break up some of the monotony by having some some different types of questing incorporated. So in Fashambal we have a town divided in two, uh where um much like the in-league and ale association fight with each other. You can get positive rep on one and negative rep on the other as you do quests. And so as people recommended, um, I did put on rep accelerators. I went into the town because it doubles the positive rep from a quest completion and not the negative rep, which made it easier to get to the end where you – to get to the end of the story in that area, you need to get both um, – both rep factions to at least neutral, I believe, is the uh, requirement. Uh, so having rep accelerators definitely helps there. And uh, I was, uh, like a lot of other OCD uh, rep followers, again, I will mention that I wanted to get both rep areas maxed. And so I was being very careful um, to do so all the way up to uh, the final fight. And, uh, and I screwed it up. <laughs> I screwed it up. Um, too long of an explanation to be required, but let's let's let, after I was able to fix it with a little more tinkering, I will say that I went on the landscape and I accidentally killed a couple Kundalar when I was fi doing another quest, and uh, they got negative rep for killing uh, mobs on the landscape, and I lost my um, max rep. Uh, I lost my max rep with one of the factions. Uh, that you did not get additional quests for after you completed the storyline in there. So basically, when you get to the end of the storyline, the rep quests ended, and yet, uh, so there was no way to get rep back except killing mobs on the landscape. And when you kill mobs on the landscape, you lose rep on the other side, so there was no way to get back to max rep with both. So I thought it was sunk, but I saw a lot of people complaining about it, and in the latest dot release, which came out just earlier this week, uh, SSG restored the quests. After you finish the storyline, you can continue to do them and get positive rep only, not negative rep, so that you can rep the you can max those rep factions once again. So, right now, all my uh, rep bars are nicely filled, all nice in a row, quiet, quiet and orderly, um, all the way through the uh, host of Gorgoroth or conquest of Gorgoroth, which is an honored status. And uh, I think pending probably celebrated. So we're catching up on that one. 
so Talothuri has Foshambal, which is interesting and different because of that mechanic. And then they have some questing in Thorzaf, which is basically the, the fighter pit area. And those are definitely different from standard questing, and I applaud the uh, ingenuity and variety there. Uh, from there, we get two wonderful dungeons, Nairband and Nargroth, uh, which are two of the cooler structures on the entire map. Um, they really outdid themselves with the internal landscapes in these two areas. Absolutely love them to death. However... <laughs> Moving around in the two dungeons is, you know, the first time I went through and did all the quests and I was seeing the rooms and the environment and the landscapes for the first time, loved it. The second time they sent me back across those same landscapes uh, to do a follow-on round of quests and I had to go into all the same areas again exactly as I did the last time, uh, it was okay. I got getting a little tired of it. When they sent me back a third time, or even a fourth time in some cases, to the same areas again and again and again, uh, the mobs are packed. And so you really got to, you know, unless you want to get impatient and run through and hope you survive on the far end, it takes a lot of grinding to make it through some of these dungeons and some of these areas. And the real savior for that is, since we're still early in the expansion, there are lots of groups running everywhere. So you can hook up with a group that's moving through the area, and uh, that is really your best chance. Um, you can probably cut the time investment for a particular area down uh, you know, by 75% just by finding three or four people that are grouped together. Even one other person um, where you don't have to be quite so careful. You don't have to use all of your cooldowns. You don't have to use all of your food. Uh, to get through an area so uh, you know there's some challenges in there uh, so it's nice to be early on in the expansion and see lots of groups moving through here and dec definitely recommend uh, you know not even necessarily forming a, a fellowship just kind of informally tag along with others and uh, get through some of your deeds and quest that way and it will certainly help you down the line Lastly, we have the area of Agarnath, which is, I think, the best swamp region I have seen in the game. How many swamps do we have in the game? Lots of them. We have a lot of swamps. Didn't think about it. Started listing swamps. Ready? How, can you, how many can you name? Uh, we've got Agamar. We've got the Dunbog in Dunland. We've got the Dead Marshes. We've got the Rushcock Bog uh, in the Shire. We've got the Rushgore in the Great River region. We've got the Drown Holt in Mirkwood. We've got Harlog in the North Downs. We have the Blooming Fens in uh, the Great River region. No, the Blooming Fens. Where are the Blooming Fens? <sighs> They're there, I promise you. Oh, the Blooming Fens are in the Troll Shaws. <laughs> Uh, and uh, right along the banks of the um, south of where you do the skirmish for the defense of the Talbrunen. And then the Wadfen, which is in the eastern Wold. So, I, all right, I cheated and I looked up a few of the map for these, but I found them pretty quickly. I knew I, I, I named most of them off the top of my head, and I had to look up a couple just so I could get to 10. So there you go, 10 swamps in the game, and I think Angranath is the coolest. Um, I do think they, they have an interesting major storyline in Agarnath, but to get there, you've got to do a lot of boring quests. Um, I think they ran out of ingenuity a little bit in Agarnath, and they said, you know, go collect 10 things on the landscape, go till 10 things on the landscape a bit, few too many times. I really found it a grind to get through all of the quest lines in Agarnath um, in order to, just because they were all kill 10 of this, kill 10 of that, almost all of them, uh, or collect 10. 
So there wasn't a lot of variety there. Um, but getting to the end storyline in there was cool and uh, enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, so let me talk about Allegiance quests. I am currently level 23. And first of all, the Elf Allegiance faction is the best. It's been great interacting with all the elves, visiting the great elven strongholds around Middle-earth. They're just super interesting and down-to-earth. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I couldn't keep a straight face. I couldn't do it. All right. Stop that. Reverse it. Say all the same, same stuff, but with dwarves. That's better. Okay, so... The first round of quests with the Dwarves Allegiance is uh, post-level 5 is very interesting. And um, it's good to tie the Dwarf Kingdoms together. I, I don't know why they when they send you on a quest as part of the Allegiance, they don't grant more Allegiance points as a reward for that quest. So you run all over Eriador and Rovanion on an Allegiance quest, and you get Steed XP as, a, as, a, as your reward. Really? So... Uh, I enjoyed the quest line to establish Gimli in the Glittering Caves. Uh, that was really nice to see. I always enjoyed that little tidbit in the books and kind of made me wonder what he built there and when it happened and how it fit into the lore of, you know, the Fourth Age. Um, so I I would thought that, you know, I was really happy to see the Glittering Caves in, in the game, even though there became an epic battle, which people didn't appreciate as much. But... Um, I always really enjoy the reference from the book, so glad to see them following up on that and seeing Gimli get his due as the Lord of the Glivering Caves. Uh, the Hall of the Mountain King is properly grandiose and uh, beautifully done. A lot of detail. Big area. They need to allow goat riding in it, though, <laughs> because inevitably you've got to talk to the king and you end up running across the entire hall back and forth. It's like it's like running across Thorns Hall, except in Thor Thorns Hall you can use goats. So if they let us use goats in the Hall of the Mountain King, I'll be very happy with it. And as I was exploring the Hall of the Mountain King, um, I found something that put a big smile on my face. In one corner, sitting at table, of course, with a big meal in front of him, was Bombor. And I did not expect to see him. You know, After watching the Rankin-Bass Hobbit so many times, I often forget that he actually survived the battle in Tolkien's books. Because in Rankin-Bass, they say... Uh, you know, Bombor dies, and he says that makes how many left of our original twelve, and they say only, only six or only seven. Soon will be only six after Thorin dies. So they say Bomber dies in the Rankin Bass movie, but he doesn't in Tolkien's book. So glad to see SSG got it right. And the other funny part is when we see him is that he's so fat that he can't even hold his arms at his sides. They are sticking out like the little brother with the puffy coat from a Christmas story. <laughs> Straight out. So it just made me think, you know, Bomber's so fat, when he sits around the Lonely Mountain, he really sits around the Lonely Mountain. I mean, he's so fat. When he contracted a flesh-eating disease, the doctors told him he only had 257 years to live. Bomber is so fat, the only way to get into the Black Gates was to grease the jams and hold a Twinkie on the other side. He's so fat as Patronus is a glazed ham. Is that enough fat jokes? Cool. Okay, enough bomber fat jokes. Move, move on to the fifth beacon of Minrimon. And now for the original weekly sponsor segment. This episode of Light the Breakins is brought to you by... <laughs> Sorry, guys, I couldn't help myself. More bomber fat jokes. <laughs> so let me tell you, bomber is so fat. How fat is he? 
Bomber so fat he brushes his teeth with Dale Man's crams. Ba-boom. Bomber so fat his wife calls his plumber's butt the real cracks of doom. Bada-bing. Bomber so fat he was baptized in Lake Evendim. Bucket of fish. Bomber so fat he has pork rind incense burning in the lonely mountain. Bomber so fat he wears a sock on each toe. Bomber so fat he hired Holly Hornblower as his personal chef. Bomber so fat his cereal bowl comes with a lifeguard. Bomber so fat when he tried to sail down the Anduin he got stuck between the Argonauts. Bomber so fat when he did the tail of the when he did the tail of the shipwreck manage. <laughs> Should I edit that? I'll actually edit that one. No, I won't. Bomber so fat when he did the tail of the shipwreck Mariner quest. He said his favorite pirate was Chips Ahoy. Badoom. Bomber so fat he ate twelve Z's and thirteen Z's as well. Bucket of fish. Bomber so fat he turned a Lothlorien flat into a roller rink. <laughs> All right, that's probably my favorite one. He turned a Lothlorien flat into a roller rink. <laughs> and lastly, but not least, Bomber so fat, he thought the one ring to rule them all was a ring ding. <laughs> okay, I'm done. On a more serious topic, and Callan had, I'm going to get up briefly on my soapbox. Let me pull it out, set it down here next to the thing, and climb up. I'm a dwarf, so I could use the extra room. Would you like me to describe it to you? Or perhaps should I find you a box? So there's a certain writer on a Lotro Player site that has started producing, I would call it, kind of a disproportionate amount of content on Lotro Players recently. Um, you know, obviously you've got the usual poem writers, the usual storylines, you've got little critters, you've got the posts from the weekly podcast. And uh, lately there's a writer that's been doing a lot of pieces about mechanics in the game and uh, developments on Bull Roar and things that have come out. And he's been a little bit of a lightning rod for criticism. He had a lot of bad things to say about the, the Mordor pricing uh, paradigms that came out, as a lot of other people did, and uh, about other decisions that were made about the game. And some people took umbrage of that and wrote back about it. And there was some back and forth about whether Lotro Players was the right site for opinion versus, you know, just being a fan site where, you know, only positive things should be written, you know, because that's where the community wanted, right? And uh, Draculetta, who's leading, leading the site right now, to his credit, came out and said, you know, uh, all, the, all the people that write for Lotro Players are volunteers and, and uh, you know, opinion's okay and as long as we have a civil dialogue, I'm all right with everything. But um, I just was reading a... A post that came out recently on Lotro Players, I think in the last day or two, regarding you know mechanics of Mordor, that was not written by this author. It was written by another one, and uh, you know the author um, came back and left a comment on the article and said, "You've got a bunch of this stuff wrong, and here's the way it should work." And at the end of his comment, he wrote. Please get your facts straight before writing something other players might reference to in their gaming or ask someone who actually knows it to do it. And uh, I took a little bit of umbrage at that. So the way I look at it is this. First of all, this guy's articles in terms of detail and grammar haven't been perfect in the past. He apparently seems to think that you know, his own content is uh, a gift to us and is perfect in every way. And that's not the case. But when I'm looking at an article that a volunteer writes on a fan site, um, 
you know, if I find something that's wrong, I'll make a suggestion to correct it if I think it's important, or I'll add other comments that add additional value, but I'm not going to tear that person down for spending their time to write something he thinks might be of help to the community or that I might enjoy. Um, so I thought that comment was rather ill-placed, and the guy's showing almost a territorial ownership of, you know, he's only been around the site for a uh, you know, a couple months. This is a site that's been out there for five years. So he's not the authority on these things. And I thought it was inappropriate to write that of a fellow contributor uh, that, you know, he should be collaborating with. So I wrote a little comment to him telling him that's the way I felt. He hasn't responded to it yet. But uh, I thought it was interesting um, and worth pointing out. Let me know what you think. Uh, was he out of line or was, uh, you know, is my umbrage regarding his comment out of line? I'm uh, open to a dialogue on it. And at that point, since we had a, such a long segment earlier talking about mortar, I am going to leave that beacon lie, and I'm going to move on to Halifarian. I'm sorry. We ran out of time to go over the SSG future direction specifics for Lotro. Maybe I'll recount those for next time. It's time for Blessed Relief. I'm officially putting a little top-colored bow on the 70th episode of Light the Beacons. I would love to hear your plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critique. You can contact me at bragsonofballon at gmail.com. That's brag with two A's. The second A stands for the Analog Kid on Facebook or Twitter at bragsonofballon or my website at lightthebeacons.com where you can post comments directly on the podcast. Kindly request you to take the time to create an iTunes review if perchance you're so inclined. I would very much appreciate it. And if your comments incite me to forego my legendary dwarf in that thea, I will try to include them in the next podcast or at least respond in some way. I hope you laughed either at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before. Or perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. And most of all, I hope you enjoy your week in Middle Earth. This is Bragg, son of Balance, signing off. Baruch Kazad. And remember... The next time you pledge your allegiance to a race that produced a divisive prima donna that brought war, curses, wrath, and destruction down upon his kin, amongst others. No, guys, I'm talking. I'm not talking about Trump. I'm talking about Fionor. Don't despair. Light the beacons. <laughs>